Good morning, beloved. Well, we have had quite the week here, haven't we? We have a God who knows us and knows our needs before we ask them. He cares about us and is concerned for us. So let us go to him. Before we turn to the word of God, let's go to him in prayer. Let's pray. Lord, you know the struggles facing us. You know what we are dealing with every day. You know what we need before we ask it. You are our greatest need, Father. So we ask that you will meet our needs. Lord, we ask that you will bring strength where we are weak. Father, we ask for healing where we are sick. Comfort where we are wounded. Joy where there is sorrow. Victory where we are defeated. And we thank you, Lord, that you have already given us all those things in Christ. So, Lord, in this time of uncertainty, I pray that you give us direction and courage to follow you wherever you lead us. Father, now as we turn to your word, we pray that you will open our hearts to your spirit. Break up the hard ground of our heart, Lord. Make us ready to receive what you have for us. And cause your word and your will to grow in us and produce a harvest. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So let's open today to our passage, which is found in Mark chapter 1, verse 1 through 8. And this is taken from the lectionary, reading for the second Sunday of Advent. Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. Mark begins. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord and make his path straight. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Amen. It is important for us to note here Just a few details about the book of Mark. Mark is written sometime between 65 and 75 AD. Mark wrote his gospel for the Christians in Rome, which would have been a mixed audience of both Jewish and Gentile believers. Historians believe that this gospel came at a time of persecution for Christians and that Mark desired to encourage the church that their suffering was not in vain. Beloved, we tend to shy away or resist hard times when we can, don't we? But it is in the fire of hardship that the Lord reveals those that truly walk with Him. He reveals that His presence is in their life. It is in the persecution that the church has always grown, that the gospel has always gone forth by the power of God and not the power of man. 
And so Mark writes this to the church in the fire of persecution and hardship. And we can look back today and see how God has used the church to carry the gospel forward. And I pray that if Jesus does not come for centuries, I don't think that's very likely. I think it will be much sooner. But if he delays that long, I pray that those alive in that distant time might be able to look back and say that the gospel went forward because of God's work in and through us today. But we have to be willing to hold one another accountable to the gospel above all and before all and amidst all. Or I'm not sure that will be our testimony. Mark, the author of this gospel, is no stranger to accountability, to failure, to correction. Most scholars agree that the gospel of Mark was written by John Mark. The same John Mark that we see in Paul, we see Paul address or talk about in Acts 15. We see Paul refuse to take on a missionary journey, take him on a missionary journey because Mark had deserted them. But later on in 2 Timothy, we see that John Mark has gotten his act together and Paul praises him for his good work for the gospel. Though not an apostle, some scholars believe that John Mark was one of the followers of Jesus. They point to Mark 14, 51 through 52, which says, A young man wearing nothing but a linen garment was following Jesus. And when they seized him, he fled naked, leaving his garment behind. Because this account is not mentioned in any other gospel, there is some speculation that Mark may be speaking of himself. Several historical accounts attribute the writing of the gospel of Mark as directly influenced and perhaps even interpreted from the teachings of Peter. This gospel was written within the lifetime of those who knew and followed Jesus. This gospel is trustworthy. It is historical. It is truth. So with all that said, let's dive into the passage itself. Verse 1. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. What is the gospel? Well, the Greek word for gospel is euangelion, which means good news. It is the entire message of the plan of God for humanity. When we say share the gospel, what we are saying is not simply share the sinner's prayer. We are saying tell God's story. It is good news. Tell of his love. Tell of his working throughout history to reach mankind and bring them to himself. Tell of the great extent he went to in order to bring us back to what he has made us to be. His own people. And so Mark begins here. This is the beginning of the good news about Jesus. Verse 2 through 3. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of the one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Scholars and historians believe that these words from Isaiah 40 hearken back to when ancient kings would visit their territories. They would send a messenger ahead to proclaim the king's coming. The messenger would call out in the town and the countryside and the wilderness that the way must be prepared. The wilderness tamed. The rough places made straight. 
and smooth. The king is coming. John was the man foretold by Isaiah hundreds of years before his birth. John came to prepare the way for the king of kings. John's message then is as our message should be today. Jesus is coming. John's message is to remove anything that stands between you and God. Remove all obstacles to the work of God. When we are owned by any worldly issue, it is an obstacle to the work of God in our life. It is the wilderness that needs to be cleared. Make no mistake, our God says that He is a jealous God and that He has no interest in sharing our heart or our purpose. Even if what competes with God in us is a good and necessary thing, even if it makes us feel good or fulfilled or like we are standing for something, even if in the beginning of our involvement in that thing we felt led of God, nothing, beloved, nothing is to compete with Him for our hearts. Everything can become wilderness needing to be cleared, idols that need to be toppled. So when anything occupies our heart and mind in equal to or greater measure to the Lord, it becomes a tool of the devil and an obstacle in the way of God. And John would say, make straight the way of the Lord. Beloved, to see these obstacles, these idols, they influence us. They are on our mind throughout the day. They color how we see people. They influence how we understand situations. They blind us from our own sins and failures. And they magnify the sins and the failures of others in our eyes. We allow these obstacles and idols. We allow our wilderness to influence how we understand people. And how we understand God himself. We allow our idols to tell us who God is. This is why throughout time God has repeatedly called for the toppling of idols. Because he refuses to let his people see him or see the world or see each other through the understanding of idols and wilderness that needs to be cleared. He is a jealous God. He is jealous because he is love and he is best and he refuses to share us with what is lesser. Preparing the way can be difficult. God is talking about demolition, tearing down anything that is in his way. Some of the things in the way will be things we value. Nevertheless, they gotta go. That is John's message to us. Prepare the way. Make his paths straight. This is the reality of being in Christ. God, by His Holy Spirit, desires to cleanse you of anything that is in His way. You can either allow that cleansing, we can either allow that cleansing, or we can remain unused, unfulfilled, unvisited by the real presence of the King in us and in our land. Verse 4, 
John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. The word baptized in the Greek means literally to submerge or immerse. Now this is an important thing to note because John's baptism was not simply the act of submersion. The scripture says a baptism of repentance. So it literally is saying an immersion of repentance. This baptism, as John says it, is not just about water. The water is not really the point. It's the physical means, it's the sign of repentance, but the point is the repentance. The water is the sign through which God chooses to show the work he is doing to bring about repentance in the people that are coming to John. John's baptism was part of God's work. It was God preparing people to hear Christ. It was the removal of the wilderness within them so that God might have his way. So what is the way of God? What is in the way of God in us today? What is in his way? Are the paths of our life and heart and mind made straight for him? Are there any areas of resistance that the Holy Spirit comes up against when he desires to have his will in us? And all the country of Judea and Jerusalem were going out to him and being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. James chapter 5 verse 16 says, Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Confession is a precursor to healing. As long as we hold on to our sins, as long as we cling to our wilderness and to our idols, no matter how evil or how good those idols and that wilderness and those sins, no matter how good or pleasing they may seem, while we yet cling to that which is an obstacle to the work of God in our lives, we will not see the joy that God has set before us. If we choose the wilderness, if we choose our idol, God will let us have that. Beloved, let us confess our sins one to another. Let us make straight the paths of our Lord. Every Wednesday night over the past two months, a few of us have gathered in the upper room and prayed for this very thing, that God might bring revival. That the church would desire to be who he wants us to be. That we would no longer be divided over man's idols and man's wilderness. Beloved, we have been calling for the Lord to do this, to revive us, to set us on fire so that the world sees Jesus when they look at us, and nothing else. That we would leave behind and clear the way through our wilderness. That we would leave behind the wilderness that we have clung to in the past, and that we would make a way straight that God would make us effective for his kingdom and for his will.
But as we are calling out to God, he is calling out to us. Just as he did through John. Make straight the paths of the Lord. Confess your sins one to another. So let's turn to Mark chapter 1 verse 6. Now John was clothed with camel hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locust and wild honey. So what can we learn from that? John had no interest in being part of the world he found himself in. He was not concerned with how relevant he was, how educated he was, how polished he was. He wasn't even concerned with clothes and shelter and food. He ate what God provided. He slept where God provided. He wore what God provided. What John was concerned with was simply God. This flies against modern Christianity and what we think a church leader should be, doesn't it? I remember from my days of campaigning and reading church job searches for their next pastor, I remember that even then I felt a bit of repugnancy when reading many of those descriptions. The pastor must have grown up in a megachurch and be familiar with megachurch culture. They must have a number of character traits and dispositions and accolades and we want him to be just like us is basically what they were saying. We want him to be just like us. Very, very rarely did churches express in writing the desire to have God bring whoever God willed for them. I doubt very highly that John the Baptist would be hired by any church today. And yet, Jesus said this about him and about himself in Luke chapter 7. I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Verse 7. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. Who does Jesus say is the greatest among men after himself? John the Baptist. This man who does not consider himself worthy of untying the sandals of Christ. John does not consider himself worthy of doing the most meaning, menial, dirtiest, lowest task of the lowest servant. John doesn't consider himself worthy of doing that on behalf of Christ. We see John's attitude towards Jesus when Christ comes to him to be baptized by John. And John says, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? John the Baptist, according to Jesus, the greatest man ever to live other than himself. John the Baptist sees his own need. I have baptized you with water, John says in verse 8. But he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. As we discussed earlier, baptized means immerse. He will immerse us with the Holy Spirit. This is what Christ has come to do. This is what we celebrate in this season. Christian, God desires that you no longer wander in a wilderness of your own way. 
The king desires more than simply to save you. He desires to come to you, to live in you, to dwell in you. He desires that there be no obstacles set in his way in your life. He desires that you prepare the way for him in your own life and in the world around you. Beloved, how can we call for the world to prepare the way when we ourselves are so often in the way? How can we call for the world to prepare the way when we ourselves so often do not hear that call to prepare the way? The Lord has come and is returning. We must make ready. In this time of Advent, I pray that we, the church, might repent. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is here. The kingdom is at hand. Martin Luther said this, I preach as if Jesus was crucified yesterday, rose from the dead today, and is returning tomorrow. Do we see the urgency? There's no time for worldly idols. There's no time for crooked paths. There's no time for divided loyalties. Always the message of the gospel. Always, always, always the message of the gospel is that the time is now. The kingdom is now. And if there is one thing we ought to have learned this year is that security is not guaranteed us. Tomorrow is not guaranteed us. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of repentance. Today is the day of casting down idols. Today is the day of clearing the wilderness. And perhaps some of you listening... Perhaps for some of you listening, today is the day of the coming of the Lord into your own life. He longs not simply to better your life. He longs to make you a brand new creation in himself. To forgive you of your sins. To cleanse you from unrighteousness. To make you new and fill you with his presence and power and peace. He desires to adopt you by the price he paid for you on the cross of Christ. To adopt you into his family as his child, the child of God. He loves you. And he has proven his love for you. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to receive the gift he made you to receive. The gift of new life through Christ. Oh church, this is our message. This is not just the message of John the Baptist. This is not just the message of John Mark. This is not just the message of Pastor John or Pastor Brian or Pastor Jake. This is your message. This is the message that has been entrusted to you, Christian. That you, in your wilderness, in your life, and in the wilderness and the lives around you, that you would call with John, prepare the way for the Lord. Make his Paths straight. The king is coming. Be ready. The king 
is coming. Be ready for the work he desires to do in you and through you. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. And Father, I pray that all who hear this, Lord, that each and every one of us, that we might lay our wilderness at your feet. Lord, we acknowledge that we are in love. In many ways, we are in love with the wilderness. And for so long, we have chosen the wilderness. We have chosen our idols. That's what makes them idols and wilderness. We have chosen them above you. And Lord, we repent of that now. Father God, forgive us. And we thank you that you shed your blood, the blood of your only son, to do that very thing. To forgive us and wash us clean. And so now, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we turn from those things. We leave them at the feet, at the foot of the cross. Lord, may you fill those places that we have cleared, the wilderness that we have cleared right now. Lord, that you will fill those places, those spaces, with your Holy Spirit. And that you will have your will and your way in us. So that the world might hear and see and come to know Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, beloved.